All right, y'all. I am so excited to have you on the first episode of that. I don't even know what it's called yet, but we'll call it the Mark Warnke podcast for right now. Um, I'm excited to to do this because it's been years. Uh, For those of you that used to follow my podcast back in the hunting realms uh, with Outdoors International and all that stuff, you may remember me from then. And we talked only hunting. And I I like hunting. I love hunting. In fact, hunting is a core part of my life, but I have other cores. And, you know, this podcast, I really wanted to be about everything that I find interesting and hopefully you find it interesting as well. Um, I don't want my podcast to be from a place of monetization. If it happens to be that way, awesome. Uh, I want this podcast to be about critical thought and about growth and excellence and inspiration and kindness, loving, gratitude, the things that have the higher vibrations than my attempt to make money or to be sponsored or any of those things. The problem is, is I'm still not evolved enough of a human to be able to keep that energy out of me while I'm trying to um, engage and and make a difference. Um, And my guest today that's on is somebody who knows me really, really well. And um, and when I say really, really well, what, what I believe is that there's a connection between you and I that's that's deeper than. Um, or just our meeting and our gathering. I, I think that Ewan has such an amazing backstory. Um, and, and we're going to be talking about the goals of this podcast together. Um, and so you're going to understand more of that as this goes along. And this will be an interesting ramble through the woods of, you know, Ewan and Mark's conversation. And I think by the end of this, you're going to have an understanding of what we're trying to do. As the podcast goes, in the past, when I've podcasted, I've always felt so frustrated with the the guest side of things, trying to get guests on, and and it, it was always a complicated, clunky thing. And so the format of this, I believe, is going to end up being about seven to fifteen really regular guests. That instead of having differing guests on all the time, what I hope to have is differing thought on differing subjects among the same common personalities that you listening to this podcast are going to be getting used to. Um, and I think it'll allow for kind of a, a uniformity of delivery of message where enough people are going to be able to take it in to where it can appeal to the broad masses. But you're either going to like this podcast or you're going to hate it. And that's okay with me. Um, what I'm not willing to do is be in or unauthentic. And Ewan as a personality, um, he really encapsulates a lot of, of what I find super interesting about the human condition. And it's actually something that I considered you and was to, to call this podcast, the human condition and the exploration of excellence, right? Because you, you have this brain like mine that needs to chew on something that I think that is a, a dive into the deeper realms of the whys and the hows and the, and the the perimeters of you know what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in being an outlier, right? I I find it super interesting that people who are on the fringe of thought and excellence and how they got there and how their mind works and what drove them to that place, what past 
either trauma or gift or whatever, put them in that place to, to kind of have that torch of excellence in their hand. There's certain people that, that, that have that. And you and I really need to open this up for you to begin to, to, for the audience to begin to get to know you because um, what, what drew me to you was from our very first conversation, I've become highly sensitized to my work, I'll call it, um, in personal growth and diving into plant medicines and that sort of thing. I've becoming highly sensitive to energy, energy from people, places, um, thoughts, um, locations. And the second I picked up the phone with you, I knew there was something really special about you. And I felt an affinity, meaning an attraction to the energy that you have. It took me by surprise, Mark. I um, did it. I, I, yeah. Well, I came down with my son expecting to buy a goat off a guy who I found interesting. But it, it would often take me being face to face with somebody, you know, and we uh, you showed me around and uh, you're enjoyable to be around either way but then once we got into your your office stroke shed we just started talking and it was uh it was one of those few occasions where i meet somebody and uh yeah conversation just flows easily um and and also an openness um it's one of those situations where you just don't you don't feel a, an agenda on the other person's part, or maybe none of your insecurities get triggered, or something like that. And uh, we had a, we had a really kind of a conversation that, quite frankly, could have gone on a lot longer. Uh, had yeah, uh, for sure. Earlier in the day, yeah. Well, and and too, so the audience knows we connected on pack goats. We connected yeah. on you know hunting. Um, we connected on animal husbandry and paying attention to the training and fostering of animals. Your background is a vet. I'm going to, I'm going to let you tell your backstory, but part of our story is the story. That's the inspiration for this podcast that the things that I find interesting, you and I both find similarly interesting. I don't think there's a single subject, including Austin minis that you and I can't talk about and yeah. have a spark of <laughs> joy right. and intrigue, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was so fun. And Trisha and I still talk about how you became a kid in a candy store when I told you that I had an Austin Mini and that we were fixing <laughs> yeah. it up. And was it was so really fun to see. Thing. Yeah, I'm still right. waiting. I'm still waiting for you to uh, send me a picture. I'm like, that guy better not be hiding that in a shed and not sending me pictures. No, <laughs> no it's just uh, it's just a long process to strip something clear down like yeah. that and rebuild it. And so, yeah, we just had the interior done and it's being done in Arizona. So I just get pictures of it as well. But yeah, so but my point was, is that the things that we find interesting, I think other people, health, fitness, mental health the other side and those spiritually deep connections, um, you know, diving in thought, passionate subject matter, backcountry, hunting, um, goats, uh, yeah. all those things are things that I look forward to talking to. And that's why I had you as, as my first guest. So Ewan, let me ask you, um, I think that I will do you an injustice in telling your backstory and your backstory is, is so amazing. And I really think that kind of if you could share with us with that and feel free and, and you know, kind of tell the long format where you were raised, okay. what your educational background is, what your family is, and then that life event 
that sparked such deep conversation and a change for you in your life. And um, let's let's go down that rabbit hole. Okay. So um, my father and mother uh, moved to Kenya in the 70s, and I was born there, uh, third child, um, grew up in Nairobi, Kenya, um, for about uh, 10 years myself um, before moving moving to uh to england uh, my dad is uh he's a veterinary scientist so he researches into tropical diseases uh just so happens that my one of my brothers has ended up doing um almost precisely the same thing and another brother has also gone into science um and my younger sister um i would call her an artist um and a slightly different character within the family. She's just a more creative kind of soul. And uh, after Kenya moved to England, got, got the slight uh, culture shock of moving to the Western world, um, which has all caught all How old were you then? I was 10. Uh, so okay. the culture shock, it's something that can be described in a very long conversation, quite frankly. But, you know, you're moving from... Uh, a country where you are usually financially quite wealthy, even if you're not earning very much money in, say, US dollars, um, relative to the rest of the population, you're wealthy, you're being raised with all sorts of nationalities, which you don't really appreciate at the time. Uh, you just kind of have a melting pot of a school that when you look back on it, it's just like, wow, that that is cool to have all those cultures just slammed together and not really noticing they're being slammed together um, and having no jarring because you're children, right? You're not, you're not adults uh, coming together with preconceived notions. You're just noticing things about children or their families that is, is different uh, to your family. And then you're moving past it and being a kid and playing and doing whatever. So that was, that was probably one of the things that, I look back as as amazing about that upbringing. The other thing was that I, I I was brought up with a with a boy down the street who was just uh, I didn't realize that people didn't have didn't always have uh, an extremely close close friend when they were a, a kid. Um, this guy even now. Um, my wife met him probably eight years ago, and she came away. She was like, that was creepy. Even, even though I haven't seen him much in the interim between leaving Kenya and now, we just seem to have ended up being similar characters, which I've always looked back and I've always puzzled as to, you know, was that just a chance occurrence that I came across this guy who was so similar in the way we behave or think and, and uh, interact? Or did we kind of make something together and then, um, you know, form ourselves, leave each other, come back, and then notice we were the same. I, I've never been able to figure that out. So that was cool, but it was also a wrench when I left and uh, went to England, um, went to a regu regular state-run state, state -run school, uh, or a couple or three of them, um, and ended up leaving school at about, I think it was 16, 17, something like that, kind of disillusioned. Um, worked on a couple of building sites, some farms, and ended up staying with my grandparents up on their farm in Scotland for a while and really enjoyed it. I, 
it was that um, that world that where a boy is thrust into a world that is still um, maybe not now, but it certainly was at that point driven by men. So you're in amongst men who can be quite challenging. And that was totally against the school environment, but was really enjoyable. You could have, you could, <laughs> you could essentially set, you, you could, I, I love the fact that the communication was, was honest. You would come onto a farm, you'd make a mistake inevitably at some point, you'd forget what they told you to do, or you didn't do it quite right. And they'd give you specific directions and consequences could be dead animals or problems uh it's pretty significant problems on a farm and those for those people who have worked on farms they know what i mean um and you just have a, have a farmer turn around i remember one and he said listen you can make one mistake on my farm you can make multiple mistakes but if i tell you once you've made a mistake and you make that mistake again you can fuck off <laughs> and as a young man as a young man you think you think you'd crumple, but for some reason that is just so clear. It's so much clearer than all the social stuff you meet as a teenager. And you're like, well, should I be, how should I be approaching girls? What, is this friend of mine really a friend? Is, you know, I, I'm feeling insecure in this situation. The, these guys just give you a solid rock to hang on to. You basically show up, you work. Uh, you treat people, you know, nicely and with respect and everything goes well. Um, and I've heard people who have joined the army since, there was nothing like the army, but I've heard them describe that same certainty and how they enjoyed, oh, right, now I get the system. It's not so kind of fluffy. Um, so, so now that, I can... Well, can I, can I stop you for a second? Just, yeah, just for the question. So so I find I find what you're saying super interesting because... Societally, we have this um, like this demasculating the, the the nature of men, right? right? There's this really beautiful, clear, linear, abrupt, and honest nature of men, right? And 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 you know, I'm always I'm always a believer in a paying attention to. That God doesn't create things by mistake. You know, if we believe that there's this benevolent higher being, which I do, um, I that I call God, that 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 made us intentionally with a nature to serve our evolution. There's a beauty in the abruptness of men, and to denounce that and try to alter that. It's really interesting that you say in a boy's mind that it created predictability for you, that if you told that story, as you just did, there's a there's half the audience um, that just went, <gasps> right? Like, going, oh, my God, he had to hear that from somebody. Man, how did he feel when that happened? Was that, oh, right? And yet for you, you had like this really great appreciation in the kindness of clarity. Right, because yeah. we we we've now, right? We we've defined what kindness looks like, and kindness can look like something different for different sexes, different cultures, different people. And for you, it was it would be similar to me. Now, I was such a people pleaser as a child, and so scared to disappoint people because I believed so little in my myself that if somebody were abrupt like that with me. 
I would have had great difficulty then being super scared of his disapproval in the future because I didn't have a wholeness and completeness that could have heard that. But yeah, yet the there's an thing, the, the only thing I'll say about that, Mark, is there was a subtlety to a lot of the way it was done. So a lot of the guys I'm thinking of are Scottish. <laughs> there is a slightly, oh, it feels a, a little bit like a mean part of the culture when you're experiencing it. But then if there is any vulnerability, uh, often, often people who raise animals just naturally have a softer side. You just can't, I mean, these are men who raise sheep and sheep are irritating. They, they don't think, they, they just all glob together. And then if there's a gap, they all run away. If there's an animal you're going to get irritated with, other than maybe a pig, uh, a sheep is one of those animals that are, that are lovely animals, but in trying to handle them and making mistakes, they can be extremely frustrating. So the job itself almost um, grinds in patience and compassion to these people. So they can be gruff, but if they noticed something like a kid who couldn't quite bear the burden of a short, sharp fuck off or something like that, they would soften it and they'd turn it into a tease instead. And then they'd wait until you eked something back at them and then they'd enjoy it. And then you'd see them enjoy that tease and then they'd build a rapport and then they'd know when something serious. Now I can tell him to fuck off. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. so and, well, and I, I think you, you probably will have felt that or practiced that maybe in your camp, that kind of ability to, yeah, you can be straight, sharp, and spiky, which is natural for people, not just men. I think you can be spiky. It's okay as long as, as as long as in the long run there is some kindness and compassion there, and you've got a little bit of suspension somewhere. Um, sure. And not always. Some guys were outright mean, but uh, you, you learned how to well, work around them. You know. Yeah. No. I was. It was not that I think that in any way. It was just a paying attention to. It was. It's an interesting paying attention to because as an adult, what I was going to finish with was as an adult where I am today, having myself. I didn't have myself till I was in my early thirties. Honestly, yeah, I know that. I, I still deeply believed in my early thirties. If you really knew me, you wouldn't love me, and I still struggle with that old voice that says you're a fraud. And I think all of us in some ways do. But for me, I was overwhelmed by that voice. That was 90% of who I was as a young as a young person. And so my ability to authentically see people for the message they were communicating from their differing positions, it just there just wasn't room for it. I didn't have I didn't have room because I was barely hanging on to knowing I was a, a functioning human that deserved God's love. I mean, I had about 10% of that me, you know? And so when you don't have enough of that, it doesn't allow for anything else. You're, you know, when you're, I used to say, you know, when you're operating life from a one to four on a one to 10 scale, which I was, good days were a four for me, bad days were a one, zero meant death. Then when I operated within one to four, it never allowed enough room for thoughts of others. It was only when you're in one to four in your life, you really are just basically hanging on. You're surviving yeah. moment by moment, 
because you don't have enough of yourself to, to have extra for outside thought. It's always, what do I need, need, need? I'm this love soaker because I don't have enough myself. Right. And so it that's, was that, and it's interesting. It's that that's, awesome. that, that's how I was at school. Um, I was kind of maybe not, maybe not expressing it in the same way. I don't know how you expressed it, but I <clears throat> essentially expressed it by um, just rebelling at everything, aggressing, being aggressive towards everything. Um, Interesting. Uh, in, in what way? Like not, not oh, willing to comply? Complying with nothing. So like... Um, <laughs> that so strikes me as weird because you're such a kind, gentle man well, now. <laughs> well, yeah. So give me, give me <laughs> a for example. So, well, I mean, if I would... You, you start in a primary school and you come from Kenya where you just play cricket, how normal people play cricket with a cricket ball. And you arrive in England and you're playing it with a tennis ball. And I'm like, I'm not playing. And they're like, why? I was like, because this is a tennis ball. It's for playing tennis. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I had, I had a kind of, uh, maybe a problem as a kid of just like really always being obstinate and always challenging people and, and assuming that an adult could see everything in my mind almost, you know, where you're just like, you know, when you're looking at an adult and they're treating you like a child and you're like, why is that guy treating me like a child? He's, it makes me feel stupid. And teach when teachers did that, I was just like, this is so stupid. You're asking me, why I won't play cricket with a tennis ball and you're playing cricket with a tennis ball because you're scared of kids getting hurt because they, because when you play cricket, occasionally it hits a part of the body. And I just thought that was kind of, to me, it was, it was, it was totally the opposite of what natural thought is. You play a sport where there's some pain involved And then you learn to work around it and, and it becomes part of the game. So when you're actually playing the game, the whole point of the game is that when you're batting, you can put that out of your mind and play the game. You put in a tennis ball. Yes, it can be fun. And to be fair, I should step back and say I played with a tennis ball with my brother in the garden. But that was because we, we didn't want to break the windows. Um, right. But uh, I refused because it just didn't seem to make any sense why a group of people would be in a field playing a sport and you're missing the whole point of the entire sport, which is the gritty bit. Uh, the gritty bit is that a ball bounces off the, off the grass and it comes in and it hits you, whatever, in the balls or on the elbow. Mm. It's going to hurt for a few minutes and it's not going to hurt for very long. You learn that as well. Um, but then you learn proper technique you learn how to avoid those situations and you also learn that even when you and I wasn't that good a batsman but whatever um, when you learn that proper technique you learn that you still get hurt occasionally and you accept it so all of those lessons are kind of life lessons that you're killing out of the game and I think kids aren't stupid enough to be fooled by that do you know what I mean they're not stupid enough to think well or desensitized to Right. Or desensitized to the need for suffering for higher levels of growth and learning and all those other things that were, you know, I I think it's in our nature in some ways to avoid pain, discomfort, suffering, all those things. And there's this point in everybody's life where we're, we're forced 
to deal with the things that we think we should avoid. And for some of us, not all of us, I believe that the leaning in to discomfort, the leaning in to suffering, the leaning into the grind ends up being such a rewarding next level experience because the next tier, I mean, I often say, you know, we have this crazy definition of relationships today where we're, you know, I mean, the, the couple that is held up in society is the one that never argues. I'm like, really? If you never argue, you never achieve intimacy, right? Without, without a fire and seeing who comes and carries you back out, you never truly know what kind of a relationship you're in, friend or or significant or partner or any of those things. It's when things go bad and how people handle themselves through that process that you truly yeah. dive into the next layer, layer of intimacy. With There is no such thing as intimacy without confrontation, strife, discomfort, betrayal, all those other things. It's the transition through that and the maintaining of that relationship where that true depth is gained. But again, that's uncomfortable, right? And there's there's some yeah. suffering to it. So let's let's try to hop on down further down the bunning trail of your backstory because one of the things that makes you so juicy as a human and so introspective, I, I really want to explore this in future podcasts and everything else like that. But I really want to know the, the depth of understanding that you have as a human uh, about the finer things are, are soon to come. So let's, so here's your childhood. You're raised with a, as I see it, highly brilliant intellectual family. And you have this affinity through farming and through veterinarian, uh, this, this deep understanding of animals on, on a working level and on a stewardship level, right? You have this working farm thing, but because of the way you are, you've paid attention to the nuances of that deep connection that can happen between man and animal. So let's then move that forward from your farm experience in, in Scotland and in Europe, and then transition that into your professional life. And then what eventually was your life-changing event? So um, having kind of worked, having graduated vet school um, from Glasgow in Scotland, I uh, worked in England as a, as a farm animal vet for one or two years. And then um, I had met my future wife in vet school and she was from Chicago. So we decided to go to Chicago for a while, um, make some money, see what it was about. And I switched over to companion animal medicine, primarily cats and dogs, um, for about eight years in Chicago. Um, there were things that I was able to enjoy, but uh, I found that a very challenging job to enjoy. Um, I think some, somewhat because I was in a city and I'm not a city kid. I didn't know how to kind of really transition to a city. Um, and then after that, moved to... Um, Canada and started a, a small animal clinic um, for a bunch of guys who are a, a couple of guys, sorry, who are running a, a mostly large animal clinic, farm animal clinic out there. In 2017, um, went back to visit my now in-laws um, at Easter, just, you know, for an Easter break. And on the night before Easter, um, my wife woke up at about two in the morning, something like that. And I was, she described me as looking like a dying cat. I was basically pale, taking my last breath, checking out. Um, and she started CPR 
Um, we were in her parents' house on vacation, so she shouted on them. Um, eventually, someone got the paramedics called. So I am in cardiac arrest. Um, my coronary artery, the, the main blood supply to the heart, has split in several places. So I am I'm dying um, for sure. Um, and the paramedics show up, and after approximately 40 or just over minutes um, of me in the bedroom, then in the ambulance, they couldn't get the ambulance going because my heart kept stopping. And eventually they're like, fuck it, let's just drive to the hospital and we'll see if we can get him going on the way. Um, and eventually got me going. And to give you a kind of scale of it, the, the kind of standard for at that time in Chicago, don't know what the standards are now. Uh, I'd imagine they're somewhat the same. The standard is three shots of epinephrine um, and I think a couple of shots or a couple of shocks or something like that. It's, it's a low number. It's under five. So I received all the epinephrine in the truck, which is what I would have done as a vet. Just give it to him. <laughs> um, and, and, and about 10 shocks um, before everything got started. So the only reason I say that is one of the special things about that experience is realizing that those uh, paramedics and firemen walked in my house, looked at my family. They asked, the normal question is, hey, is this guy on cocaine or taking any drugs? And, and, and my wife is like, no chance, no way. But then I think they clocked. My kids were just standing there, not really knowing what's going on, not really kind of gaining any trauma from it, I don't think but just kind of like just standing there looking at them. And I think that led to those guys basically doing more than they perhaps would have done on another night. I think they just found a human connection. My wife was banging the shit out of the ambulance uh, on the side, just making sure they didn't give up. And I think looking back, I love the thought of people doing more than they perhaps have to. You know, I just love it. It's just a lovely thought to think that these people in two seconds, got a human connection with somebody. One of my children, my wife, um, my in-laws, don't know, um, or maybe me, and decided, no, fuck it, we're just going to do everything and see what happens. And uh, it paid off later when I, when I saw them in the hospital. I, I went through, I don't know, if, I think it was five, six days of coma, which I think might have been induced. They, they chilled me down to protect my, my nervous system, my brain, uh, from further damage. And then, uh, I think I was brought out of coma or came out of coma about day five or six. And sometime after that, when I could speak and do things, these guys came in and it was, it, I, I couldn't tell the severity of it, you see, because my brain was blown to pieces in, in some ways. And I was kind of, kept from the severity of it for stress reasons, uh, the details of it. So when these guys came in and they apparently they came and walked away and went to the reception and said, no, that's not my guy. My guy is on a, on a, on a respirator. He's, he's probably in a vegetative state. So these guys even came back to see someone who they thought was in a vegetative state, which is an amazing thing if you think about it. Just think how the... Their mind has got a connection in those few minutes. They're saving people every day. They're dealing with, frankly, 
people who treat them well and people who treat them very poorly day to day. And they've just not even met me, but they've met a few of a few of my family. Um, and they've come back to the hospital to see someone they expect to be in a vegetative state, which I, I, I just think is such a beautiful thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think about those people, I can picture their faces um, if, if I want to very, very easily. Um, and I think about them very frequently. So anyway, they came back to my room and they said, God, I thought you'd be, I thought you'd be basically dead or in a vegetative state. And I found that su surprising because everyone else, uh, excluding some doctors, were kind of uh, keeping those details from me. But at that time, my memory was was so poor that you could have told me I was a wizard. And then, you know, two minutes down the line, I wasn't a wizard anymore. I was, I was just, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I really, I was eating donuts off my shoulder. I was asking my wife to get milk out of the fridge, which was really a cupboard. I was seeing stuff. Um, it was a wild time. And I, I actually remember. So, some so, so let the, part of the story that I don't know if everybody's clear on is that you ended up being low oxygen in your brain for a long period of time. And yeah. in that long period of time, you suffered not only short-term, but long-term implications in terms of brain damage, correct? Right. Yeah. So as far as, um, it's a strange thing to describe, Mark, because <laughs> I, I now know that short-term memory loss is essentially what you say as a butt of a joke, because <laughs> so many people mm -hmm. use it. It's like people saying I'm ADHD. I mean, people just say right. it even though they're not. You know what I mean? And, and that's fine. Right. I don't, I'm not really sensitive to that because I just don't give a shit. But, well, I would say, hey, if you're going to joke about it, make it funny. But um, the the, the short-term memory loss label doesn't really work. It's really just a, a diffuse brain uh, brain injury. So almost anything can happen at any time regarding memory. And by memory, I mean... Um, things that people would not consider memory. So I have been on the top of a ladder and, you know, you're holding a ladder and my brain hasn't been able to register, oh yeah, when, you're, when your feet are on a plank, your foot's on a plank, your brain actually is constantly telling you you're on a ladder, you're on a ladder, you're on a ladder. And you don't realize that until you step off it. And I've just stepped off the top of ladders I've forgotten I was skiing down a hill, as in I've just almost gone through a, like a, a blink and bang and <laughs> just mm. just screamed as in, ah, I'm, I'm skiing and my daughter's going down the hill laughing at me. So it's, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> and asking me, you know, what's going on? I said, hey, Josie, I forgot I was skiing. And she's like skiing off down the hill thinking that is the funniest thing ever. It's not that funny. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is exactly. We're hence yeah. the butt of jokes. It is a funny thing. So, and then it can be anything. It can be, you know, the classic one is when I'm working. You know, so I've been working on my house for a couple of years, um, and the day consists of leaving hammers places. The day, and it, it consists of. You know, last time I used that, when was that? No idea when that was, which is normal for people to forget, but I'm doing it at a, at a high rate. So I'm, I'm constantly right. battling. I might pick something up that I've just worked on, saw it in half, and then realize, oh, yeah, that's something I actually needed for something else. So it's, it's, a, so, it's a broad range so, of function problems. 
Right. Okay. So, and, and things like, you know, the audience should know. I mean, so when I first met you, um, my goal was to get to know you better because I found you so amazing and interesting. And there was an affinity. When I say an affinity, I use the, that word meaning my being higher and height, a heightened sense of energy, right? And, and energy was a word that was thrown around that I've always heard throughout my life. And I don't know if I ever quite fully understood it. Um, uh, I think that throughout humanity, we've had people who've been more sensitive to energy than others. They've attempted to explain it to the ones who aren't. I was one who wasn't. And sometimes I'm still not. I have heightened times where I'm more sensitive to energy. But my understanding of it, and, you know, there's probably some people in the audience that are going to roll their eyes. And, and I may have done that, too, in the past. My first deep understanding of energy, and if you'll allow me a minute, because I'm going to, I, I, we have still have so much juicy detail to get to here in your story. But my understanding of energy and my earliest awareness of it was in the process of large ticket, large audience sales. When I was standing on a, on a stage and I began to understand the mechanics of controlling energetic flow of an entire room. And I could understand that when my energy spilled out of me with a, with a, um, a point to it, I needed the audience to go in a particular direction to understand me. And I began to understand how to move a room and, and not just understand and became aware that it was about part of it was my own energy. And if I didn't have my energy in a place now that these are really mechanical steps, they were like the, an understanding that there was a collective energetic, undefinable things connecting me to other human beings. And, um, I never knew that was real until I had like evidence of it. And that was my first experience of it. Now that I've become more tuned in either through my gift or my study of plant medicine, I have, um, you know, had clairvoyant dreams and I, you know, had angelic visits and, and those sorts of things. So I'm a believer in that there's possible that there's a, 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 a connection through vibration and electricity, which we're calling energy that we can pay attention to. And that some of us have really powerful output. Some of us have really powerful input or a paying attention. And I believe that some super enlightened human beings have, have both. And, and I'm beginning to explore a sensitivity to that that I never knew was possible. And it's been really beautiful. My affinity towards you was that. Energetically, I was pushed by something within me, which I'll call my spirit, that said, you need to get to know this guy. There's something bigger here for you and for humanity for you to lean into this relationship. So you need to go and explore. And I believe our spirits push us through this really beautiful gift called curiosity. Intense curiosity is like the language of our spirit, right? And when we get these really big pushes of curiosity, I believe that's our spirit speaking to us saying, you need to go explore this area because there's something here for you. And I, I found you deeply curious. And so in, in that affinity and getting to know you, the, my infantile understanding through what I've been shown through these clairvoyant dreams and angelic visits um, that have all been in dream, um, and then 
to, to, to have your story and to hear this death experience. So now we understand kind of the, 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 the brain side of that, but what you were shown and, and your understanding of it has always been so beautiful to me. I'm super curious to have you begin to lean into that side of the story as well. Yeah. So, um, I will say that I pretty much didn't and don't talk about that just as a, as a kind of thing in the street or meeting people, or I've had a few people ask me, obviously a very occasional person will ask you, Hey, did you see something? But actually most people avoid it altogether. Um, Hmm. either out of politeness, but I think more out of a, I'm not sure I really want to know kind of feeling. Um, Hmm. that's what I get anyway, but I had a, I had a memory of something that I basically just put to the side and what it was really, the things that triggered it initially were, um, so I had like a massive fear response after I left hospital. Uh, that wasn't me thinking, oh, I'm scared of everything. I w- it just when an ambulance went by, I was just, I could have done anything. Like my adrenaline was pumped. I was ready to run, jump, do whatever. And I didn't know what to do. There was nothing to do. I might be in a, ca- in a car and I'd just be shaking. Um, and then it would bring on all the rest of the memory after that. And, and, and my mind initially said, is that, is that real? Uh, that I would hear an ambulance and then I'd get a memory of voices, uh, ambulance noise, uh, beeps, things like that. And I think that's really odd. Um, and it brought on a memory of um, essentially what I think is the, the death experience or what I... Listen, I would say I know it's the death experience, but it's, there's no point saying that when you're relating it to other people because it's, it's either believable or it's not. Um, so essentially it moved from um, noises, adrenaline, um, almost even, even though I'm a I'm a basically a body in an ambulance, it moved from noises, adrenaline, and essentially because of just this pumped up body that just wants to escape it is a feeling of got to get out of this, got to escape, got to move, got to do all of that. And, and you can, you're not doing anything, you're laying still. So it's like a still panic. You're sucking in all mm. the information. I wouldn't even say panic. It's just one of those situations where when you've been under control and been able to get out of a situation, you have the same adrenaline, but you know what you're doing. But it's almost, I can only equate it to being an ant under under a boot. You know where you've got to go, but you're not getting there, essentially. Um, so So essentially, a feeling of relaxation came. Once you realize you ain't getting there, uh, it was almost or you were getting closer to death, it's almost like your body naturally just, fuck it, relax, there's nothing you can do. And then the mind did something, um, or my perception of, of my mind did something in steps. It, it essentially um, uh, dissolved my personality. 
um, and, and I mean personality by, you know, you have an idea of yourself, you have an ego, you have an understanding of what makes you tick. Um, and it's almost funny to look back on it because all of those things are just such uh, superficial things. And, and they were, they, when they were pushed away, it was just instant. They're gone. And it was, it was shocking, uh, although I don't think my mind had, to, had the ability to be shocked within that space. I think in hindsight, you think, gosh, that stuff all just washed away, almost in one wash. No ego, no, uh, hey, I'm a guy who likes to exercise. Hey, I take pride in this. I, you know, I like to do a good job. That's all just nothing. That was nothingness. All of the things that you hear in society, actually, oh, he was a hardworking guy, oh, that guy's done well for himself. Those things that go to tweak you as a child and a, and a young teen, and then you basically either choose to, you don't even choose to absorb it. It, it. it absorbs into you eventually or initially, whether you wanted it or not. Uh, and whether that's a, a, a reaction against it, which creates essentially it absorbing into it. So fighting something, you become the thing you're fighting, right? So um, if you end up fighting being a hardworking person and you're good at fighting, you work hard <laughs> at not working, right? So you become good at it and then eventually you find something you like and you work hard at it and you realize, oh, damn, I work hard at things and I take pride in it. Uh, and that thing seeped in. So um, it was funny how all of those things, all of those little ideas you have about life just gone. And then there was just a slightly more complex version of, of consciousness with ideas of myself. And um, I went through, I think after this kind of uh, washing away of that, I went through basically a life review, which is really common. And it's not something... It's not something that's described very well, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't involve anything related to anything you achieve. It Sadly, it doesn't often concur with the things that you would like to review. You know, so if you think you were really kind in a particular moment, it might not come up. <laughs> so that your mind might just look at that and say, no, sorry, son, this is, this is where you're going to look. So it really isn't biased. It looks at horrible things that you might not even have thought of as horrible. Um, you know, just calling someone a nickname at school and it expands it to all the potential things that that nickname could have caused. So you don't know specifically what it does to that person, but it does look at that person and everything you ever observed about that person. And it makes kind of... Uh, uh, a little tree of possibilities that you immediately understand a tree of possibilities of what that comment could have done to that person. And it's really, although you're not feeling emotions, you can see the sadness and the lack of empathy and the lack of understanding in what you did. You can just see it. You think, gosh, that I never really thought. And you don't really think that, but you just see it instantly. And then you go through all of the other human interactions, a very small number of animal interactions were in there where things were done that were out with what, so you wouldn't go through every interaction you had with an animal if you were a veterinarian, for example. 
the interactions that I went through were ones with, say, one of my dogs, ones with a rabbit that I came across and I killed because it had mexamatosis when I was a teenager. And I always wondered, was that kind or was I just being brutal? I don't know. I have no idea. I just picked it up and swung it around a fence post and I put it down and I kind of felt a little bit, I don't know, sick afterwards. And after that, I always did that because it felt like the right thing. But that came up and I just thought, and, 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 and that came up as a, as, a, as a positive thing. So I was kind of like, well, that's, that's nice to see. Uh, because I wasn't telling myself it was positive. It was almost like a bump. Oh, I understand it. Not because I'm arrogant. My, my ego has gone. I understand it because I can only say I'm being shown it. Um, and then you go all, all through the, 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 those human interactions. And I, I have to say that lasts no time at all, I think. It seemed to be like a flash, but a flash that could encompass your entire life. And then all the possibilities that your life could have, could have dropped little positive um, and little negative, little, uh, let's say, butterfly wing flaps everywhere. Uh, and then what could have happened in every direction? In an instant, you understand it. And it was... <clears throat> I struggle with this one because I say it was worth seeing and an amazing thing to see. But I didn't die of pancreatic cancer, right? I didn't suffer for months. You know what I mean? It's a really difficult thing. Like I'm not singing it from the rooftops or certainly I don't want to and I don't want it to sound like death is a glorious thing. Um but it might be nice to know that that's there um, if you are suffering. Even though a part of me says, gosh, I hope I'm not misleading someone. You know what I mean? Part of me says, you know, why do you have the right to really talk about this? Um, it's that old kind of feeling of going to university and always feeling like you don't know enough. You know what I mean? You, you just say, mm -hmm. well, yeah. Well, is that... Yeah, but, but is that your current humanness? I mean, in that place, you were just in a place of receiving, right? So yeah, exactly. This, I wasn't this, thinking this is, about it. Yeah, this is the this is the human post chatter, right? This is yeah. the yeah, this, yeah, this is exactly exactly, Mark. Um, so uh, so you look at that, and and frankly, I have described that to uh, a couple of friends who did ask. I've said, listen. It's a concept, and I've described it like this to you, I think, as well. It's a concept that was so complex and large and uh, specific um, that there is no way I could hold that concept right now. You know, so I'm describing what I, what I felt or saw or don't even know what it was, whether I was seeing or feeling. Do you know what I mean? But you definitely instantly understood that. And it was so massive that I'm just not sure a human mind can hold all of that at once. It was just so massive and intricate. And, it, and, and interestingly, it really appeared like the step before was an absolute necessity, as in dropping all the ego, dropping all of that. All of that wouldn't have been possible without getting rid of that fluff. Because you'd have been looking at it, judging everything and trying to... So you'd stop at the very first thing and the complexity of that first thing would have taken you a lifetime. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say, Mark? Uh, yeah, completely. I mean, so you were in a place where devoid of 
devoid of the human chaff, right? Devoid of the, Zero the, the right. Correct. So, so one of my teachers speaks about, and I believe it's Buddhism is the highest form of human evolution is leading a life devoid of any form of judgment. So all yeah. things become just as they are and they only are from a place of observation. So when you're only from a place of observation and acceptance of all things, good, bad, indifferent, you actually eliminate the need for even those words. There is no good or bad. There's yeah. just observation. But the irony of that, Mark, is if, if, if you or I try to, I'm pretty sure based on that experience, that if you or I try and pick that apart, we'll pick it apart with a negative skew or a positive skew and we'll get it wrong because we're, we're not at that. You can only really look at it if you're looking at it like that. Do you know what I mean? You, uh, if you have a mind that's in the West, you judge everything. I think you said something funny to me when we were camping. You said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you said something about the knowledge of, of knowing that you'd have to sit on the top of a mountain for 30 years <laughs> to get to that point. And I thought, God, that is depressing. It's kind of probably true. And I think some of us might hold aspirations that yeah, maybe I could get there in one day because some of the Buddhist scriptures, you know, denote people who have got there in one day and it's clearly not really practicable. But um, yeah. Well, so, well, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me speak to that just really quick because you bring up an important point is that if we're going to be speaking in this context, and again, you and I, this is going to be an organic flow that allows for that. So I want this podcast to have the organic flow to be devoid of agenda and to allow it to, to go where it's going to go um, for the betterment of understanding of excellence of the human condition. And when you speak about the human condition in that kind of a way, part of the beauty of us is our sloppiness. Part of the beauty of us and, and it is that sloppiness and lack of attention to detail and bruised ego and judgment that is part of the evolutionary process. That is a part. It is our some of our most negative places that are make us most juicy as humans because they give yeah. us the greatest opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. So that's why comedians are I, so good to watch. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I want to. I don't want to miss out on the juicy part of life of being fallible and, and all those other things to achieve the highest level and meditate on top of a mountain because I would miss out on being a dickhead and then getting a chance to say, I'm sorry and deepening right. a relationship. Yeah, right? no, I understand I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think one of, one of the things that you said when you were explaining to me and, and I so enjoy, I so enjoy thought that's so big that the human mind can't encapsulate it. I love that there's undiscoverables. I love that there I are things we truly- as well, Mark. Oh, yeah, tons. And those Trend, things that yeah. we've only scratched the surface of in the most brilliant minds that walk the planet and we still only know just this little scratchy only surface. I love that. So, yeah, up, so let me ask you, because one of the things that you said that has really, you know, you have takeaways from our conversation. I have takeaways from our conversation. Some of my takeaways of our conversation in the mountain, deeply exploring over, I mean, I, I know we probably talked for 12 to 15 hours, you know, over yeah, a, easily, a high mountain. Yeah. 
And one of my deepest takeaways was when you spoke about the ripple effect. And in fact, I've named the sanctuary that we're building here on the ranch as a safe place for people to come and overcome trauma and addiction and, and all those sorts of things is we're calling it the ripple center. And that when you explained that and you made me understand it in a way that acts of kindness and, and, or acts of greed become like a, a, a drop in a pond and, but but the the amount of ripple that happens throughout humanity surrounding that one act is not multi-person deep and is not momentarily is not momentary it's thousands of people deep and it's years worth of evolution and and i found that so profound i mean you so profoundly changed how I thought about the act of kindness or the act of greed or selfishness because the gravity of knowing that it has years worth of life, that single act. Yeah, yeah, well, an eternity. And moment. thousands of people of ripple. It's there forever as far as far as as far as the way I kind of interpret it or look at it now. It, it, it's kind of worrying when, when you have, I've got four young kids. So you just think, Oh my gosh, if you understand it that way, it feels like a far bigger responsibility than if it's just an additive to your ego. Oh, I was good to that kid there. I did great. You know, that's, that's a slightly different thing than thinking, Oh no, this could create, you know, kind acts in that person, um, or negative acts in that person, uh, for various reasons and in in various different ways, um, and and still in ways that I don't understand. So I've just seen something, and now I'm just a regular human, just like everyone else. Um, but having seen that, and knowing that there's a whole load of things that I don't understand as far as how far things reach and how powerfully they can affect people and the people after them and the animals after them and whatever. Um, is quite a heavy thing in some ways, but actually, really, if you if if you if you have the ability to appreciate it for even a short time in depth, it becomes incredibly positive um, as an overall concept. I think because let's say you know let's say you are someone who was young, an addict valued yourself not a job let's say you maybe haven't behaved particularly well you know from anybody's uh, measuring stick um not that we should have one but let's say we have a measuring stick the fact that you can do one thing and it's it's essentially powerful and ongoing for the rest of time per my interpretation if you can interpret it that way that is quite a load off because all you've got to do is, 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 yes, you've got an awful lot to overcome, but if you can appreciate what just doing good in one instant can do, that should make you feel better about one instant. You know what I mean? Whereas when you, th when you think you're a piece of shit, essentially, you can do something good, but then immediately f flop back to, oh, I'm a piece of shit. No, not really. You're just what you did in that moment. And before it, you were what you did in that moment too. So it can be a balance of good and bad. But that's cool because the next moment could be positive. And I can affect is positivity and negativity. 
if I understand my own ego, my own consciousness, and the fact that a lot of the negativity comes from the chaff on top. I think that's fairly well recognized by people. I think people can kind of say, well, yeah, the bullshit my family gave me and maybe the generations before gave me, all of those perceptions of culture and things like that, and you should be this, you should be that, make me react to that person who just said something quickly and maybe angrily and then give them something from my negative bank. Um, and I think I, I think that's not talking in a kind of super spiritual or fluffy way. That's pretty... Everyone knows when they do that. You know, you flip the bird in the car because, you, you, you know, it's a, it's a teenage response and you just kept it. Um, and then you realize, hey, you know, what if they're on the way to the hospital? I mean, what the heck am I doing? Um, so so, so that let, me, let me ask you... Yep. Let me ask you something. So, so then, so if we have this belief structure that there's this negative and positive energy, call it good or bad or whatever, choose you shadow light. If, if we put value judgments on an act of kindness, loving, whatever it is, and then we pull back from all forms of judgment, right? If judgment no longer exists and things just are, yeah. And then there is no def- definition of good or bad. There, there only is. That's and a in good that point. place of is, right, then we get to explain that piece of humanity that says, well, if, if all this is all so loving, then why did 8 billion people die due to this disease? What benevolent being would have allowed that to happen if there's this divine orchestration? Where's, where's that explanation? And, and the way that I've because it always goes this direction. If, if we have this move towards benevolence or this move towards kind, loving, gentle, grateful, all those things that we aspire to be, I aspire to be more like on a daily basis, then the shadow side of us that shows up, if we denounce shadow or light being good or bad, it only defines each other, right? There's the, I've heard it said before, then it's really beautifully said that light cannot have definition without shadow. So it can have form. And so the form of light is defined by shadow, but shadow is not necessarily bad and light is not necessarily good. They just are, right? And so if we believe that, then, then we have this explanation of, that we are only progressing. And, and I think this is where the study of um, the Hawaiian principle of that whole ono onopono, which is yeah, the creation, right. And, you know, it's create, right, more right. And there's no step in there that defines wrong. It yeah. only can says we, that whatever action is right. So Pardon me? I, I would interpret that last little... Um, the, the chat about light and dark slightly different based on my experience, not 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 necessarily just as a point of argument. It's not a point of argument. No, no, um, no. I, that's why I wanted. That's why I brought it up. So the Hawaiian saying is in that, that you actually I'd never read it or or heard about it. It it's more true to the feeling of when you're in that dying experience and you see those things than seeing both and not judging both. You see, because when you see those actions, you understand also where those actions came from. And none of your negative actions that, well, let's, 
I'm, I'm saying this specifically because it's what I believe from what I saw and, and just color all of this by saying it's something I've seen and it's my opinion and I don't, I see it as kind of a bit of a truth now, but I, I don't try and impose that on other people. But the way I see it is that you, because you understand where it went, when I describe those little branches that come off, you also understand where it came from. And I mean years, generations, everything. And you see that all of the negativity that you put onwards is either negativity that you have created, but usually is something that has come from another negative, has been created as a negative. And that's only really appreciated when you move on to the next step of death, which is frankly, bonkers and almost impossible to explain. And all words just can't really do it. So do you, before I go on, do you know, you've got that, you see what I'm saying. So you don't see it only in the complexity of looking forward and what it might have done to that person, positive, negative, whatever. Um, and you don't, you're not really judging positive or negative. You're correct. You're just seeing what happened. But there is a sense of that was a that was something that caused harm. You're just not judging it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you see mm -hmm. the harm, but you don't say, gosh, I was bad. That's, that's kind of the, the, the gist of it. It's, a, it's maybe a bit more complex, but you also see, uh, I don't want to really, you don't want to get into family blaming and stuff like that, but you really do see the complexity of how your family has, has, formed generations and you know how your uncles behaved you know how um behaviors that were acceptable in your family those things are hugely complex and come from a complex set of uh repercussions down down the years and they can come from things like not just your family like your your country history right so you've been brought up in a family in um a war-torn country those families will behave, and, and all of our countries were war-torn at one point. I'm saying that that era has a, an echo into the future within those mm -hmm. families. They had to function in a stressed situation. The dad comes back from war. He's riddled with problems. He becomes abusive, and that wasn't necessarily who he could be, but that's who he was in that generation, and that created ripple effects down the years. Now, if that was a country that was constantly poor, destitute, and suffering at the hands of another country, I think that had a ripple effect down generations within that country, within multiple families. And then the fact that there was a multiplicity in it meant that those families had different they developed different behaviors as a town, as a village, as a city, and then as a country. Um, and that's not okay. to say some, some countries are good or bad. I'm saying there's good and bad in every country's history, but both of those things go into creating every single person in the country. And some things out with that country too, right? Um, because there's travel into countries and stuff like that. So, yes, um, there is no judgment of it necessarily, but there is a knowledge that harm comes from that. Uh, and that good comes from that. Do you get what I'm saying, okay. Neymar? I do, I do. And, 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 and I would guess, this is a guess, um, that that 
evolution of where that chain of events being you input output was an understanding of what it, what it was for what it was. And, um, you had an interpretation of harm or good and what that did, but no interpretation of the quality of you as a human as no the reaction. conduit of that. I, exactly. Yeah, right. It was just, it was just the story that was being told and it still had quantity or, or, yeah. or it was quantified, right? There was a scale. Um, yes. And so let me, let me ask you this then, because this is a, a, a very poignant question in this point is that, do you believe then, and, and I'll, I'll pull out my interpretation of this because I think it's important is that, do you believe then that there is an understanding of humanity's overall evolution in this? Do you believe that we're on a sliding scale towards being higher beings as a collective as a result of this? Or do you believe not, that's a- Not necessarily. That's up to you and me, Mark, right? So, um, no, not necessarily. Absolutely not. I think, <clears throat> I think, um, you don't be, believe that we are, that this, if there is a divine orchestration, do you feel like there's a divine orchestration or a, a plan towards evolution? Or do you believe that's a natural consequence? Or do you I believe that it even is present? That's a difficult question for me, Mark. So if someone were to believe, to ask me the straight question, do I believe in God? I say no. I'm not really anti the idea, and I don't think anything negative or positive of people who do believe it. And I see all of the link, not all of, that's arrogant, but I see some of the links that I can appreciate to the things that I've experienced. So I'm kind of open. I'm thinking, well, yeah, those are interesting links. Um, but because I can only really function in a happy way if I'm honest with myself. I can't fill in the space between those links. I can't just say, yes, I believe in that. Do you know what I mean? And I, I whether anything is orchestrated, as far as the feeling when I was dying, whether something was orchestrated, no, it did not feel like it was orchestrated, but it did feel like when I moved to the next stage, which was essentially like a bright light as far as what it might have looked like. Um, not that my eyes are working, but it looked like a bright light, but it was pure consciousness, goodness, you'd have to say love, and there was zero negativity in there. And I mean, I would be a sarcastic human. There's just nothing left. There is nothing other than a positive, um, you could call it a force. It's a bit of a fluffy bit of language, but it was really difficult to explain. But it was absolute bliss to be a witness to it. Um, and it was, depending on how much you've suffered, for, for my life, 
I'm glad I've gone through all of the things in my life that led me to that. Um, so the negative things in my life really paled a little bit into, into, into insignificance at that time, Mark, not necessarily while I'm describing it to you now. So I could crash a car today and I'd get really frustrated and I'd be in it just like any other human. But at that time, I was able to appreciate, um, yeah, just a positive source. I didn't even think it was humanity. I wasn't even sure it was humanity. It was like a consciousness uh, is, is probably the best human word for it, I suppose. Best English word. So what, what my understanding, let me make sure I'm clear I understand you. So after the review of sorts and the, the enormity of that, and, the, and we, mm. I feel like I have an understanding of, of that, and I know there's a billion different things we could pick apart in that that would be super interesting. At the end of that, you were in the presence of, it sounds like, or moving towards um, enveloped the highest level. Pardon me? I'd say enveloped by would probably be the best description. Interesting. Interesting. And as well so as in, a part of. Sorry okay. to No, 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 no. I mean, again, I'm trying to have a deeper level of understanding. So enveloped by becoming a part of or being you know welcomed was there a feeling of welcome uh there was no absence of welcome okay yeah you know what i, I mean can, i mean they, I it, it just it just has to be welcoming because there is no negativity um, right right you know, it just, I, I, i'm only sharing this because again i had i had my angelic experience i got to be in the presence of an angel and help um, somebody experience, you know, death. So I got to be, I got to be a part of somebody else's death experience in, in understanding on that level. But my largest takeaway of it, because I believe I was still in the human form experiencing that there was a break, right? I don't, I don't know if I could fully experience that because my humanness was still there, still looking at it from the human place. Yeah, but I got to understand that there was a difference between humanity and spirit. And then also being in the presence of that angel, let me know because I, I can, I feel similarly to hearing other people's wow. near death experiences that I literally prayed every night for six months for her to come back selfishly. Because just to be in the presence of that pure love, pure acceptance, and all those words that you can't find to describe what she embodied. And um, I don't have the words either, other than to say, use words like bliss and to use words like the, a, a deeper state of love that isn't capable here on earth. And... I was so intoxicated by it that I prayed for just to, to get a chance to be close to it again. Yeah. Like yeah, that's, I've what never I've been, that's what I've been doing since Mark, I, you know, reading and, and, and investigating and saying, well, what is the deal with that? And that's what, that's one of the things that happened once I got out of hospital. Um, I started listening to books um, for another reason. And then I just gradually kind of, came towards, I got to take a look at this. I'm not speaking to anyone about it, but what is the deal? 
um, what is going on and why is that memory persisting and why won't it, I mean, it was so clear and I was forgetting, you know, day-to-day life stuff. I was just forgetting constantly. Um, I think my wife remembers at one point she took a picture of all the fruit on the counter. I was like going to buy bananas every second. Uh, I bought bananas, apples. I went out, bought some more bananas and apples. But this thing stayed as clear as a bell, never really went anywhere. And it, it didn't trouble me. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I thought, you know what? It's, it's stressful for everyone around me. I'm not going to talk to anyone about it. And I went through um, an odd three or four months where when I describe all the stuff fell away, like ego and um, just all the chaff, all the stuff that you build up through life. It seemed um, to me as though I came out of hospital just totally empty of that. Um, but in an odd situation where people are treating me not less than, but you know, they treat you like a patient. You're forgetting things. It's stressful. At the same time, I'm freaking out because a squirrel jumps out in front of the car. But the back feeling of all that is a lovely feeling of, huh, I'm just looking at it. Bang. I'm just seeing things. I'm seeing a guy who's angry. Um, I'm having conversations with people selling me coffee, whereas before I'd just go in, queue up, thanks, have a good day, blah, blah, blah. But I'd actually strike, strike, which is totally unlike me with total strangers that, you know, I would usually judge whether I have a connection or not. I was talking to anybody um, and not like a crazy guy. I was just like, they'd say something like, um, you having a nice day? You know, they'd say it as part of their sales shtick in Starbucks or wherever you got your coffee. And I said, yeah, what about your day? Um, I was like, you have to come far to come here. And I was just having a conversation because I was so interested in the person. And then I was walking around the streets and you'd see someone angry. And I had this feeling, you know, often when you're yourself, let's say, and you've got your ego and everything, you look at someone angry and your first feeling can be, what a jackass. Why don't you just let it go? Or, you know, why do you have to be so mean or whatever? Um, maybe I should go over there and have an argument with them and just, you know, put them on the back foot and tell them to bugger off. But I, w- I wasn't doing that. I was just looking at them. And because none of my crap was in the way, I was only seeing a problem. As in, I was seeing their pain, I suppose. Not not a specific, like I don't know what's happened in their life. And I can't, I, I wasn't magic or anything, but the feeling of having none of your own stuff was bizarre because you could look at someone and you could see just imbalance or sadness or pain and why a behavior came out, but not specifically why. You could just see it and then I'd walk away from it and sometimes I'd cry. You know, you'd, you know, at a total jackass in the street who's been swearing at someone and I'd walk away and I'd just feel everything associated with it. And it would be overwhelmingly sad because I know where that, or, or let's say I can perceive that I know where that's going into the future. To that person he was talking to in the car, to his kids, from his parents, you know, from from his grandparents, all the way through. And without consciousness of what it is in the moment, you're only passing it on, right? Um, yeah, you can't just so say, oh, shit, what did, what did I like- do? 
why didn't I apologize? Because so like, if he came back a minute later and he said, dude, I behave like that all the time off the cuff. I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I really, I shouldn't have said that. You can kind of rub it out a little bit because that person can say, that's lovely. He had the guts to spot his mistake and spot his anger and come back and say, you know, I do not want to hurt you. I didn't want to threaten you. I just got pissed off and I've got this kind of shit that I've got to turn around in time. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a weird experience. So you, you're, so you and I, 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 I want to explore that more. I have a bladder that's this big right now because I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> I can hit, I can, I can hit pause and yep. um, that way the people watching, can can I just have a second to use the bathroom real quick? You got it. I might use this. Okay. Same. So you're going to stay on. I've never hit pause on my thing before, but um, uh, for the watchers, this is a new. So I, this is a risky click, but I'm going to click pause. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys, we're back. We're back on. Uh, sorry, I had to use the bathroom. And um, two, just know I'm, you know, I... I'm sitting in my house, you know, and, and so is you and, and life happens around us. And the insulation guy called and I had to give Miss Trisha, my, my lady, my phone and say, Hey, when he comes, will you talk to him? And, you know, I, what, what I was just talking with you and about was, you know, once I came back was that life happens around us and that, that the goal of this podcast is to be transparent, real, devoid of agenda, except for one thing. And, and I know this is going to sound corny and flaky, but my life has changed in my centralized focus is how can I act in a way that is positively beneficial to the people around me and as a result of the people around me to humanity? And so how can I embrace and embody kindness, gratitude, love, patience, things that I have a hard time with. I struggle to be kind all the time. And the reason I struggle to be kind is because I'm so busy. Um, I'm very linear. And anything that takes me off that linear path, I get gruff with. And I lose my kindness. I lose my patience. I lose my loving. And I lose my gratitude all the fucking time. And to not have that be reflective on me as a man and to, to not let those acts then define that I'm a piece of poo or a good man or anything else like that. I'm just those things in that moment. And I aspire to be better in that moment. And I aspire to have this podcast have the energetic agenda to positively affect me, my guests, and the people who listen to it to become better human beings and to understand things on a deeper level to do those things better. And not just this stuff, not just a a spiritual leaning or a, a move towards that, but how do we become better stewards of animals? How do we, instead of just killing shit, how do we then become the artisans of hunting? How do we understand its deeper nuances and how it affects? And how do we share that experience with humanity who doesn't understand it? How do we uh, deep, more deeply understand death and the subject of death? Because death is this really large subject that is so totally hum- humanity is disenfranchised or disconnected from the act of death of both animal death and human death because we have it done behind closed rooms and so and done by other people and we don't participate in the process of it. And, and so 
if the listeners at this point are are going, okay, cool, well, what's this podcast about? It's it's about all that stuff that that we can go down. So we're we're going to know the goal is to have on five or ten of I have spent my life being interested in deeply brilliant people with deeply brilliant wordsmithery, the ability to explain difficult to understand concepts in a way that people can understand is a gift. And it's a gift that, that Ewan has. And without being egotistical, it was a gift I was given. I was given the ability to speak a deeper understanding of a subject and have it be understood. And, and that is a, um, that is a gift that the other people that I know in my life and that I'll have on as guests understand. And then we'll explore the subjects, um, that we find interesting. And those will be pack goats, hunting, um, survival, backcountry, backpacking, uh, animal stewardship, homesteading, um, business, personal growth, that really is what this podcast is going to be about. And one of the ways that Ewan and I deeply connect is in pack goats. He actually bought goats from me and he has a really deeply un- deep understanding of animal nuances um, that I find interesting. And so that's the direction we're going to go now is we're going to dive off into that. But for those of you that are listening and are deeply intrigued by Ewan as I am to hear more of that other side of the story, don't worry, he'll be back on. We'll be able to have that conversation in the future and we'll begin teasing out those little individual components. And um, But again, for, for the spirit of being um, ingestible and understandable and having a chapter sequence, we're going to move on to the to the next subject and then leave a bit of that story untold, leave some meat on the bone, as as, as Hollywood likes to say it, um, for some deeper understanding of that. So we're going to move on to goats. And so much of my following and the people that follow me know me as the goat guy and, you know, this person who um, has really... The only thing that I am truly special in is that I believe because of my background in dog training and uh, I believe my understanding of energy that um, uh, I have tuned in to the goat as an animal and I can understand how to communicate to him when most have never really um, wanted to. I believe I have an understanding of how goats work. Um, that makes me unique. The rest of it, I've just got gathered information from other people who know more that spent more time. And I'm an aggregate of that information to the goat world now. And so even though people know me as the goat guy, I'm still, I have years and years and years of deeper understanding of it. But I, I found that goats are so unique and that they're such an amazing animal. And especially in how they are related to a dog and you have a livestock guardian dog. And you and I were talking about that, that I find those subjects super interesting. Goats, <coughs> goats are like a dog in so many different ways. And they have this super uniqueness where they're not. And I find it incredibly intriguing yeah. because they don't have the maintenance of a dog, but they have the specialness of the goat and the attention and the, the whatever. But speak about how you have, have, found your experience now it's not like you're devoid of experience with goats you've you've no, had goats them. 
my experience as a vet with goats is like, don't go see the goats because goat owners are crazy. Goats as a veterinarian, you don't know that much about unless you're specifically focused on it. So driving around the English countryside, if the receptionist pick up picked up the phone and sent you to the goat farm, you're like, come on, man, send me to the send me to the cow, send me to the sheep, send me to something that I'm totally comfortable with, and I can. Get were you a large Were you a large animal vet specializing in that, or were you in in Go England? Ahead. I was, and then when I went to Chicago, I, I obviously switched over to companion animal, really just for practical reasons. Um, it's it was probably more what I enjoyed because of my um, semi-agricultural background or, a, or an exposure to agriculture as a, as a, as a kid. Um, yeah, it was, it was more interesting, but owning goats, I'll add something to something you said, Mark, cause you, you kind of list a, a bunch of your attributes as far as being able to recognize things in the goats. But I actually think that the fact that you know how to lead was one thing that was noticeable in the mountains. Like they want to go with you. Um, as in you're recognized as a leader, not in a fearful way. You're just recognized as the, he's the guy at the head. He's going to look after things. And you can see that in the group, um, almost to a funny extent, because goats are so kind of derised, I think, because of historical reasons, um, you know, being the poor man's cow essentially is what they have been forever. Um, they've been the, the animal on the crap land, the animal with the people who can't afford anything. So they've never really been elevated in any way. Uh, although you would say that those abilities to digest all of those random things and keep people alive in tough times should probably be elevated. But the thing that you did miss, I think, is that and I, I bet people who have hunted with you with your goats will not only see that you can lead because you can, you know, do all the things related to hunting, but they will see that as a, as a, in its own little biome with you and the goat. Um, and they'll notice, you know, the way you interact. And I did, I, I did notice that it was nice to notice. And it was, so it's one, another one of those kind of touchy subjects in, in, in modern life is leadership, dominance, things like that. They're difficult things to approach and, and discuss, but they're, when they're being done well, you just have a sense of comfort about it. You know, you can sit there and say, oh, this is comfortable. This guy's around his animals. He's kind, but they respect him. So it's under control. So I don't feel like it's in, you know, mayhem. Um, so yeah, that was one, one thing you missed. Um, but as far as my experience with goats, um, I'm still in the, in the baby stages. You know, it's one of the things that you talk about, um, I think, in, in some of your YouTube videos is, you know, how many of the people that are commenting in these videos have mature packing goats? And I'm in the beginning stages where I've got, oh, what will they be? Maybe nine month old, maybe less than that, seven or seven or eight month old, uh, three males. And then I've got because I kind of went crazy with it. I thought, you know, what, I'm going to get a couple of females. So I've got a couple of females i've got a year old female or a year and a half and then uh four or five months when i got her so she'll be about a six month old female just because i want to i want now milk goats because that's obviously something you do um so it has been quite the thing um i know that when you have a dog you drop into the life of a dog owner you know you take it out to the bathroom you pick up after it you give it affection, you enjoy 
just particularly through the years, you enjoy kind of developing something with a dog, I think, that might get richer and richer as they get older. Um, but the goats have been something funny. Even even my kids, when we take them out to graze, it's obviously not grazing weather now, but when we take them out into our, we've got 10 acres of kind of forested, patchy woodland, and we graze them out there. And I, I, I worked it into my day. I thought, you know what, I'm going to work into my work day a patch of time where I take the goats out. And one of my sons cannot stop saying when he's looking at the goats, he's like, why is this so awesome to watch that? I can't. And he, it's like he's a dick. He's like, I could watch this all day. It's so enjoyable to be around. And it, it's like an unmeasurable. They've got an unmeasurable just floating over the top of them because they're so they do. I, I, call, I call it goat. I call it goat TV, right? Yeah, like so I, I just, there's, there's something that's really super, super interesting about it. And, and it's not just you. It's, it's been, you know, because I'm in this collecting pot of information is that any goat owner that only feeds their goat hay and then that's their eating interaction owes it to themselves to take them out into a brush patch and sit yeah. amongst them and watch them forage. Yeah. And then forage. move and watch them follow you. And you're like, wow, right. this, is, this is unbelievable. Yeah, the whole thing, I am actually part of it, whether I think I am or not. You know, for a second, you can drop out and watch. And then you, you know, let's go over there. And then you realize, oh, no, I'm part of this whole deal. And whether I like it or not, these things are attached. And mm -hmm. they are your responsibility. And it's, it's kind of a nice feeling. It's, and, and having kids in that same kind of deal and spotting them asking honest questions, pretty much questions you're asking in your own head. Why am I in a forest looking at goats? It's like, what the heck am I doing here? But when the kids ask it, you realize why you're doing it. It's just something, there's something about it that really just connects you to your, your surroundings. Uh, in a right. lovely way, you notice the plants they're eating, the plants one of them prefers. Um, and then you notice which ones will wander off a little bit, which ones will stay close, which ones will come and check on you every now and again. And it's, uh, I can only say it's almost like a slowdown button. You're in your life, you're taking kids to school, you're doing your stuff, you're working on something. And then it's a great way of just totally unwinding uh, in a very yeah. short space of time. Um, and I wouldn't have predicted that. That's not why I got them, you know. Well, yeah, and, and, and I don't know how you are about, you know, your working day, right? And here, hang on a second, Trisha. You have to be quiet, honey. I can hear every click of your spoon. I super love you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, um, uh, and your phone is dinging. Thanks. So um, the the uh, the the part of that that is amazing to me um, is to pay attention to um, how enveloped I am. Um, in having what I would call a loud mind, it is so hard for me to stay singly tracked, right? I'm, it, I'm super linear, but I constantly have input and my sifting device to take in outside information, but stay on track is good. I can stay on track, but I have like a to-do list that is always in my mind on efficiency uh, I'm super highly mindful of efficiency of 
every moment? Like, what am I doing that is in highest, best purpose of right now and the most efficient process of doing that? Like, how, how am I creating efficiency in that way? And so when I'm with goats, I notice that there becomes far less linear thought and way more circular thought to being open to just paying attention to, 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 to being shown what to do next. Right. And that's really, and that's, and that's even me. when, that's even when you're going from one place to another. So, Correct. um, you know, you, you made the point, I think, um, when you were bear hunting, you just got to stop because they're hot. And if you're just being focused and banging out miles and sweating and saying, I'll drink when I get there, which can be a kind of an approach for someone if they're doing something by themselves with a pack on their back, um, you're not going to benefit those animals or your time with those animals or what you're trying to do with those animals. Um, so you just are forced to take them into consideration and taking them into consideration adds, you know, I mean, silly things. You might just see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. You may find the rest yourself useful um, and slows your mind down and lets you think about how you're going to set up something when you get there or something like that. It's just got this kind of ability to kind of, um, yeah, broaden the picture, broaden the picture. A little bit. It's nice. Yeah. I just, it's a, it's an interesting thing that goats end up teaching me. And they also teach me, um, like this really cool patience index because un, not unlike a sheep, they can be a frustrating animal sometimes to deal with. Yeah. In, in different ways. Yeah. In different ways. Um, you know, sheep are almost a problem cause they're kind of innately like the village idiot that you have to deal with on, a, on occasion. They just do dumb things that aren't good for them or anyone else. Yeah. yeah. Goats, goats, um, frustratingness more comes because they're inquisitive and loving. So they're overly yeah. inquisitive. Like, Hey, what are you doing dad? And I'm trying to get this chore done in your pen and you just keep getting in my way. Cause you want to be right here. Yeah. Right. And there's yeah. this, <clears throat> just the other day I made it a rule on the farm where, cause we're driving to do chores now, you know, I have 27 yeah, goats and I, you know, I have a, I have a different scale of operation, but I'm still trying to have an intimate relationship with my goats in that because I still need my packers to be bonded and to want to be near me to follow me through hell and back. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm going to push them physically to do things that are uncomfortable and it's through the bonding that they're going to be willing to do that. And so for me, that happens at feeding time because that's my primary interaction with them on a daily basis. I'm a busy guy. It's not like I'm sitting in my pasture hanging out with my goats because I'm not. Yes. Um, yeah. But I still need deep bonding. And so it is a new rule that I've kind of put out and, and even my hired man and Trisha and myself that I'm holding myself accountable before you drive into the pen, you park the truck with the hay in it, and then you walk through the gate and you make sure you lay hands on every single goat in the pasture before yeah. you feed, because yeah. then there's not the chaos. What, what ends up happening for me when I'm feeding is that I get into the rhythm of I'm here to feed because I want to go back into the house because yeah. it's fucking cold. And I got to do this two times a day and, you know, I yeah. want to achieve my task. And so when I go out and take the time to lay my hands on each goat, 
touch them in their special way where they want to be, you know, those little places. Every goat loves to be rubbed in different spots. And, you know, and some of them like to be stroked like a cat and some of them actually want to have their head held and, you know, those different ways and finding out that special way each goat needs loved. Then I go to every single one of them and I take my one that's shy and keeps trying to get away from me. And I kind of put him in a corner and I let him know you're going to get love for a long period of time. And I work on my problem children and I end up spending about, I bet you I spend four minutes, four minutes going through my herd and giving everybody love. Yeah. 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 And it, the dividends of it is that, Every time dad or anybody comes into the pasture, there's this ritual of, of give, right? Not just of food, because when I'm feeding, it's like, get out of here. Quit pulling hay out of my hands. Quit getting in my way. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. You're pushing that goat. Blah, 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 blah. All that energy is like irritated energy. But when yeah. I have the energy to go out and to be loving and to greet them, it's, it's reinforcing that bonding and, and, it's been a really positive shift for me. And it's weird to me that I have to keep reminding myself to be in that place with my goats. Cause I already know it. I just forget it because I get busy in life, which again is that same recurring chapter for me in life that your busyness is what pulls you away from the greater things and the greater understandings and the greater gifts of kindness and love and understanding and all those different yeah, things. But a so lot of people have that kind of worky switch, just get it done move on, get that done, move on. I don't have the luxury of being able to keep a work list in my mind anymore, but I do mm. have a to-do list in the same way. And focusing on that to-do list only is fine for a couple of days, but without anything, let's say, making myself stop and spend some time with my kids and then let's say it was better weather than it is right now, my kids and the goats out, things like that. Um, It makes my productive time, um, I think a little better in its focus. Um, I think a little bit more relaxed and therefore more efficient. So not trying to think manically about getting it done and getting it done super quickly, just thinking about getting it done, what's the next step? What do I need to do, do it? It, it seems to slow my mind down to a place where it can work actually a little bit better. Uh, I think mm-hmm. anyway. um, right. I've also, I've also noticed, I noticed an odd one. I took my kids, I've taken my kids several times up into the mountain. We're right kind of um, butted up against, uh, they're probably, I don't know, they're, they're not very big, like 4,000, 5,000 feet. Uh, and we're at about, um, so you're, you're looking at about 3,000 foot gain from the house if you just walk out of the house. And I've walked with the kids since they, they, they were young and I know what their kind of boredom points are. But you take goats and these kids can walk forever. And I mean, to mm-hmm. the point where I'm tired and I'm like, you know, I'm feeling like maybe this is a time for me to retire and sit in a rocking chair. I took them out. The last time I took them out, it was a 3,400 foot gain. And it was 16 miles and they were tired by the end of it. But, but the fact that there's goats there, they're just wandering about, looking at flowers, talking to the goats. And I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, this is a long walk. When are these kids going to drop? And when am I going to have to carry one of them? Because I just don't want to. And it was magic, actually, because at the end of it, when you outline what those kids have done, they're like, wow, 
that was cool. It's like, this is like the distance from here to this town, right? That's how far you've walked. But you've actually also gone up a mountain. And it gave them such a sense of, oh, wow, I had no idea I could do that. And it mm. wasn't painful. It wasn't like dad, you know, hassling them and saying they got to toughen up. It was none of that. It was just pure enjoyment. And then real tight. They were super tired, broken at the end. But the positivity that's come out of those experiences because I wasn't pushing. I was just saying, I don't know how far the kids will go. The goats will be fine. And we stopped at water water breaks and things like that. It broke it up. Goats doing stupid things. Two of the boys had a 15-minute fight, which the kids thought was hilarious. And you end up walking 16 miles and just realizing, gosh, now the kids have a new concept of what they can do and what is painful good and what is painful bad didn't come into it it was just like yeah that was uncomfortable but it wasn't that bad which was magic it was real magic and it was something that yeah. you know i always found that kind of journey through pain as a young person and then was like oh i kind of like that discomfort and then the feeling of uh achievement but they just skipped all of the difficulty or not all of it but a lot of the kind of angst around that difficulty and they just got right to the reward which was it's something now that if they go without goats I'll be able to make comments like, well, you've walked 16 miles before, so what's wrong with eight? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I know it'll yeah. be a kind of point. Oh, yeah. that it's, it's, an, it's an achievement point. So that was a wonderful part of the summer for me. Uh, the, the goats well, just wouldn't have been the same without the goats. Well, and, and I, I just am smiling away. And the reason I'm smiling away is that, you know, we all aspire to leave a, leave an, uh, a something positive right in your wake you know what yeah what have you done as you walk through life you know how do you define what that was um you know i i wrote a book back in the day and and you know part of my guiding light that i've led throughout my whole life is is if you wrote your eulogy today and you were wrote what was going to say about you at your death it would never be mentioned of the size of the house you own, the type of cars you drive, how much money is in your bank account. And yet most of our waking lives are spent um, trying to build that, right? Most adults waking life is to live in a nicer house, to drive a nicer car, to have enough money to be able to feel secure and to have things that make us happy. And not one of those things is going to be mentioned in your eulogy. What is going to be mentioned in your eulogy is how much time did you spend with your family? What was your collective difference in your community? Um, what, yeah. would you, what did you do that was out on the edge of defined as normal that would be seen as an achievement, whether it was, you know, hike Everest or do things that are on the perimeter? Those are the things that people remember you by and that you'll remember at the end of life. And uh, so few of our waking moments are focused on that. And yeah. so when I hear, um, and, and so I've, I've always had this concept of philanthropic entrepreneurism, right? I'm a driven businessman and always have been. And yeah. how can I make a difference while I make a living? And yeah. how can I do that at the same time? So I get to at the end, kind of have all of it have my cake and eat it too. But the most fulfilling part of building this thing that I stumbled into 
of, of being this goat guy and having packgoats.com and, and being that guy um, is that I get to hear stories like this. The fact that goats are such a, 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 an amazing animal and they change how people think about things and they, and being in the pack goat world is usually associated around family and things that we're losing in our connection to nature and even deep nature and animal husbandry and chores and homesteading and farming and those juicy old school concepts that yeah. in modern urban life, you spoke earlier that you've, you had difficulty trying to be a city person. Well, me too. And I believe that honestly, I believe that most people have difficulty being a city person yes, on, a, on, a on an energetic, emotional and stimulation level. But it's all that many generations know for many generations now. If our mass population is in cities, we're now on third and fourth and fifth generation city dwellers. And it's all they've known generationally for so long that there's this little piece in them that's still in there, but it's that nature kid. It's that animal kid. It's that hunter. It's that gatherer. And it's that, that's, it's that our natural essence that's inside that's been a bit squashed by our urban society that we've generated. And I believe that piece is still really alive, evidenced by some of the things that we find intriguing on TV, people are watching survival shows and hunting shows. And it's like, it's come full circle. We've gotten so far away from where we were intended to be that now we're finding things like hunting and adventuring and survival as intriguing as, wow, I didn't even know people did that. Right. I didn't even know that people have those skills. I know yeah. that that's a small sect, but you know, my friend, Mike Glover with Fieldcraft survival, I mean, he has hundreds of thousands of followers just talking about preparedness. And that community right now is going, see, fucking told you, right? You know, being, being ready for society to shift and seeing COVID make neighbors bonk neighbors over the head over toilet paper made yeah. those people right for a long time. And so I feel like there's this really interesting shift. And I'm so proud to see goats bringing people back to a place of those goats are magic and the magic moment you had with your family, they goats are an anointed animal that has been ignored as a poor man cow or a um, utility animal that didn't deserve a relationship. And for the ones who've had a relationship with goats long-term, they already know. So, but, but the people who haven't yet, don't realize what a magic animal a goat is and what they can do um, for their family, for their well-being and having that as a focus and pack goats and being a steward of that message. I, I'm really just so stoked to um, yeah. see moments like you described with your family happen. I, I feel um, so excited to know that I'm a part of, you know, spreading that message and thought and, and um, it's valuable, Mark. I think uh, even just if I mention this piece of land, a cow's not living on it, Mark. I mean, a cow's getting nothing from it. The occasional patch of grass here and there. Um, but from when it starts being green, if I just leave it a little bit to, 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 to get some length um, and let everything shoot, um, these, go these goats, 
I don't think I fed them any forage until quite recently, um, probably a, two months ago, something like that. It's a green patch. They were just going out eating every day. Um, and I had a movable electric fence, so I would basically put them out there and I'd put the dog out with them. And uh, so that opportunity for a family on this patch of land, it ain't there for a, it's not really there for a sheep. It's because, you know, you just don't have the grassland. It's not there for a cow. And you're kind of, if you want an agricultural experience, I was trapped into it on, on crappy land. But being trapped into it would have been a great experience. It just so happened mm. that I kind of sought them out for kind of their packing abilities. And that was an aside. And now I've got, you know, kids going out to bring them hay, um, kids learning various things, being there when they're castrated, being there when their hoofs are trimmed. Uh, the kids tried to clean all their sheltered area with a hose the other day. I'm like, hey, guys, let's talk about wet feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. basically now the whole place is soaking wet and frozen i'm like yeah i, I get what they were trying to do but you're not going to wash away like <laughs> what a nightmare so i've just had to kind of bed on top of it but those lessons are things that that because they're looking at the animal and they want the animal to do well they naturally learn it um they mm. don't they don't want to go and get it hay immediately, but when they take it hay, then they then they like it, you know. So it's 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 a job that they understand when they get up in the morning. It has to be done because I want to do it. It's not one of those chores that hey, go clean a toilet. And you're like, no, I don't really. I can wait another day. This is something that has to be done, you know. And it it it, it comes with far more richness, um, I think anyway, because it, because of the the children's and mine attachment to the animal themselves. You know, it's a lovely mm. thing. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, so I want to save a couple other things for the, for the future when the next time we have you on, I really want to talk about, I think to, to keep, try to keep it under two hours, I think it's important. People will probably want to listen to this in two settings. And uh, I want to talk to you next time about livestock guardian dogs and your experience with that, because I think, I think we found some, unique, you know, you and I had both trained dogs in the past and learning that livestock guardian dogs have these old breed differences that almost yeah. make them appear dumb in the beginning, but they're not dumb. They're no, just they're got not. a, yeah, they are not. They have, they have a deeper understanding of things and, uh, almost looking at it from an elevated place of why, why do I need to do that? That's inefficient. Yeah. I already know my job place. Yeah. Right. So and when you look like at it from their historic job point of view, why would they have to know that? Why would they right. need to know? Why would they need to know how to behave around a human in an intricate house setting? I mean, that would never have developed in them. They got to sit down, watch for things coming, sniff for things coming, and then go and deal with them. And, and right, and they are kind of simple well, in that way, but simple in a really kind of uh, effective way. They're amazing. I can see us. I can see us doing an entire podcast about kind of our experience of livestock guardian dogs our experience with, um, you know, pack goats on the trail and how to take care of them out there. Are you guys milking yet or are you aspiring no, milkers? You know what, I, I'm, I'm going to get a breeding buck next year and get these guys bred next year. Um, okay. So it will be milk the following spring. Or okay. Summer. Well, so, so, you know, some exciting news. Um, and I'm going to, you know, tell you is that I just, I'm down to my last two videos 
Um, so we have about 10 hours of video content now um, on um, birthing. And so we have an oh, entire cool. course on birthing. And yeah. we were able to film some complicated births and we were able to film some going in and turning. And we have an entire comprehensive course now on how to, how to help a goat have a baby. And that's going to be released literally in like the next two weeks. And as I watched that yesterday and getting me to sit down and watch something for 10 hours, I'm, it's just not my nature, right? So that was work <laughs> for me. But the whole time I watched it, I was so excited to think how many times during the birthing process with goats. And I've, I've helped probably, I'm guessing 70 to 80 does now have babies. And yeah. I had a really lucky experience for the first, I've been helping goats have babies now for, this will be my seventh birthing season, kidding season. So six years. Yeah. Um, in those six years, I've really had basically no complications, uh, minor ones, fishing a leg, stuffing like that yeah. until this last year. And this last year, out of nine does, we had seven sets of triplets. And, and because of that and the nutritional needs of that, we had some lazy birthers. We had some lazy does that I probably didn't quite take care of nutritionally as well as I needed to that were trying to build triplets inside of them. So they were weakened going into you know, the later stages of pregnancy and you had tangled everything happening that involves with yeah. triplets. And so I was in fishing. I had to go in on six different does up to my elbow wow. and help to get babies out and reverse orders. And I had, yeah. I had breach with legs in where the first thing that presented was a tail and yeah. all kinds and that, of different complicated that is stuff. One of the primary things that people are probably nervous about, about the whole picture, if they're going to have young animals, you know, if they're going to have birthings, when you first are around them, it just feels like such a tense thing and you feel like you know nothing about it. And to have <clears throat> to have access to some kind of guidance probably is going to alleviate a lot of anxiety for people. Um, well, and, and, and I think you say that though, Ewan, because you have a deeper understanding of birth, animal birth, than the average person. I myself, honestly, I just was under the impression early in the game that a goat was good at it and that it was yeah. natural and that they would be okay. So honestly, my reflection back from my experience level now is I should have been more worried than I was. I was yeah, just it, lucky. Yeah. I was just <laughs> lucky. That, that, that comes a little bit from, you know, you talk about uh, society being removed from the, um, from, from, the idea or thinking about death, but we're also kind of, um, I suppose, tricked into thinking that birth is also an easy thing. Uh, I'm not saying, I am not saying easy. I'm saying uh, not a risky thing. Um, right. You know, and I know we or go into hospitals, yeah, not complicated, but I think, I think something my mother has also always said um, and, and kind of alluded to is, you know, when, when, when you're talking about women giving birth, she would always compare it to, number one, what it would be like in the old days, and number two, what happens in the third world now. As in, gosh, if that happened now in this country, that woman would be dead. You know, right. it just it, and I don't know why she does that. Maybe it's because she comes from a farm. 
um, or just she does it out of habit because she thinks that. I don't know, but um, it is something we're slightly removed from um, because we have so many things that can save a dire situation. And often, not always, women are in that facility when it happens. Um, mm. So we just don't see the numbers of, of awful situations that, frankly, we probably would do if we were just, you know, wandering about in tents. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, the percentage of time, and my assumption was right, goats are pretty good at it. I, I had yes, a five-year string of no problems. And then all of a sudden yeah. I had problems where if I had not, if I did not have a good mentor in the previous years and I hadn't studied with people yeah. how to solve the problem, there is no way a vet was going to show up to my house at three o'clock in the morning to save both of them. And yes. I wouldn't have known what to do. And so for me, uh, man, I'm telling you, when I watched that, I felt like, holy mackerel, we've built a course that is going to save a lot of does, a lot of babies, and a lot of family pain and heartache um, to know how to be there for their doe. I mean, it's we show we show people how to reposition babies inside. We show them what to feel for. We show them how to take care of them properly before, how to take care of them properly after. I mean, it's a basically everything you need to know about helping a goat have a baby before, middle, and end in yeah. in one simple course that you can watch in videos and in written content. And so I felt so proud, and I'm so excited that that's available. Yeah, that is exciting. You know. Um, you know, and then we have the milking course and we have the how to raise a baby goat and we have the pack goat 101 and and now we have the goat club membership where people basically get to go in and watch me address problems in my own herd on a daily basis and they get to watch me basically do everything other than just feed. So anytime blood draws come up and all that stuff and it's and it's I'm, and at the same time, they get these discounts on the courses and on products that make it pay for itself. And, you know, my whole goal is to make it so attractive that there's so many people that are Goat Club members that 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 monthly amount ends up becoming what what keeps this farm running. And then the other stuff is bonus. And the people that are involved in the group end up being there's so much value that it's a no brainer for them to just keep that in. And then now, yes. now I can manage with a monthly budget, right. You know, because there's such peaks and valleys and, you know, trying to keep the lights on while I'm trying to help people is the goal. And to imagine that I might thrive while I'm helping people is the, you know, is another yeah. goal. And, yeah, that's, and a, that's, really, that's something that a lot of people would love to reach Mark, but I think uh, you are, you appear to be driving towards it. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's, that's been cool. So Ewan, um, I really want to just express my deep gratitude, both of you as a friend um, and as somebody that I've been blessed to have a chance to pick up the phone and speak with. Um, I see you as um, somebody I'm just lucky to know, and I'm just deeply grateful for you and for your courage to be willing to kind of open up your story to the people who would be watching this and um, um, I believe that you have this really giant, beautiful message to share with humanity. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really feel like I'm a steward of some of the the kindness and the thoughtfulness that you bring to the table um, has a collective positive benefit. And I'm really glad to share you with people who would see this. And so I'm grateful to you. Um, 
And, and I can't wait to have you on again. I'm, hum I'm really, truly um, humbled by how you look at life and the lens that you were both shown and who you are as a man. So I just, I just want to express that. Um, to the listeners, um, this is episode one. Um, we look forward to years of episodes with the goal of, you know, being beneficial and, and helping people to understand deeper thought and the interesting excellence in the pursuit of the human condition and everything else. So remember, um, you know, uh, on a, on a kind of where you can find me, um, anything that you Google that would be the goat guy or Mark Warnke or, um, um, anything to do with pack goats, you can find me. The companies that I own um, that we help to grow are the following. It's packgoats.com. It is um, topendadventures.com, which is a hunt consulting firm where I help people to go on hunting adventures or, or both domestically and around the world. And then we are launching a new company, uh, uh, Ewan, that you're not familiar with that might be kind of fun because you are a newer hunter, is that I cannot stop having the message that I have to launch this company. And I launched it pre-COVID. And then when COVID came and the whole thing shit to bed and everybody stopped doing what they were doing. And so it halted that. And I'm finally bringing that back onto the table now. And I certainly don't have time for more things. So I'm trying to synergize with a key employee and, and finding that right personality that's going to be able to perpetuate it forward. But it's called Hunting University. And Hunting University is an attempt to try to take this contingent of these people that live in the city or otherwise that have no mentorship capability because they know nobody who hunts. Um, I've ran a couple of courses on this just out of request and, and we have a full curriculum and everything. And we do three day live events where people come out to a ranch I've leased in Texas and they hunt a doe and a hog and they learn how to butcher their own meat. They learn how to sneak, they learn how to shoot and they learn the art of hunting from a heartfelt human. Um, and both my instructors and myself have the agenda to be not a, a, a tough guy, raise my hand, look at I just killed shit, but more of a reverence for the act of participation as a predator and in leading life in that way. And, um, you know, that's what we're aspiring to do is, is to teach people the next level of hunting, not only in person in an in-person course, cause that's not cheap. I mean, to, to lease the ranches and to buy the animals and, and because you pay landowners per animal you take and lodge and hire the proper instructors, all that's expensive. Those courses are like three grand per person. Um, yeah. but that's just what it is. Um, but then also to have an online course for the people who can't afford that, because we're getting so good at building courses, we can then build a step-by-step -step course that people can get that will be more in the $300 range that'll teach them everything they need to know to go from, I've never even shot a gun before to, hey, I want to you know go and hunt an animal and know how to gut it and pack it out in the field. And how does that apply to my area? And how do I set a tree stand? And how do I blind hunt? And how do I sneak? And how do I shoot a bow? And how do I sight in? And just all those things that are the basics of hunting that 
you need to know, but if you don't have somebody who can teach you, how do you learn? Um, and that, that doesn't exist in, in today's world. That product is unavailable for somebody looking for that information. So that's the, the next company. And so you can find me on myhuntinguniversity.com, which is a brand new website and is still in the process of being built. Um, and you can find me on packcoats.com and Top End Adventures and, of course, all the YouTube channels and all that stuff as well. So, Ewan, thank you so much for being on. I so greatly thank appreciate you. it. Any, any, any final words or things or thoughts or things that you want to say before we sign off? No, I don't think so. I think it's the only thing I need to express is just gratitude for meeting you and spending time with you in the, and Trish in the mountains. I, I, I've thought about it. The, the memories come up kind of randomly and I think about it as I'm working and um, I've just enjoyed enjoyed the conversations. I've enjoyed your openness and uh, your lack of fear in discussing some things that are sometimes a little difficult to discuss. It's quite refreshing. Mm. Well, thanks for saying so. Well, thanks for being on and, and uh, we'll be posting this here soon. I think uh, I don't really have a plan necessarily, but we'll certainly clue you in it's when it's on. And this is our first one. So we'll see how she goes. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.